I don't know if the kids can still hear me, but that was pretty good. I love that. All that energy in the room. Hey, hold on one second. It's still empty. Think of a time when you have received some news that surprised you so much that you didn't believe it in the moment. That you had to process it for a while. Perhaps you had to see for yourself that the news that you received was actually true. Her name was Carol. She, um, she worked in the office next door to me. It was a dentist office. And she would stop by every so often just to chat because we shared the same building. But, but this day, her face was white, just pale, and she was, she was shaking just a little bit. And she rushed into the office and she could barely stammer the words. And she told me, and the others that were in the office at the time, that an airplane had crashed into one of the World Trade Centers. That's news that shocks you, right? It was one of those moments where it was so big and massive that you, and there's not a frame of reference point that, so a few of us gather like, what, like a, a little Cessna airplane? Like, did they get off course? I mean, what, what happened? She's like, no, a big jet. Well, our office didn't have a, a TV monitor, but seeing as this was a dentist and they had a waiting room, she had a, a monitor going. And so she said, you gotta come, you gotta come and see. So we rushed next door. And usually when Carol came to visit, she always had a plate of cookies or a bucket of candy. I always teased her that she was just trying to market for their, for their dentist clinic. So we go in there, and there's, there's the cookie and the, the treats on the stand there, but on, on the screen, there's one of those buildings that was smoldering. And while we were standing there, the second plane hit. That's news that is shocking. That until you actually see it, it's really difficult to get your mind around and believe. So Jesus had been spending, he had spent like three years with his disciples and all the people who had gathered around him, his followers. And he had gone about Israel and at, at least three different times that we have recorded in, in our Gospels, he talked about, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be turned over to the authorities and they're going to condemn me, and I'm going to die. And that's what his followers heard. They, they heard up until that point because, no, that's, in, that's just that's wrong. Our Messiah is not going to come and die. That's not what Messiahs do. Messiahs are conquering heroes. You're not going to march into Jerusalem and be hung on a cross. But Jesus didn't end his sentence when he said, I'm going to be condemned, and they're going to put me to death. He continued on, and he said, but I'm going to rise again. And they missed that part of the news. They heard it. It was 
just something that they couldn't process. And so now on Easter morning, Friday was a day of death and mourning, and I imagine that Saturday was absolutely silent with people just shaking their heads and their hopes shattered. And then we heard that Mary went out early that morning. She had a job to do, take care of Jesus' body. She gets to the tomb and the stone is rolled away and it's, this is not what she was expecting when she went out there and she discovered that Jesus' body was gone. It was news that was shocking and she takes it back to the disciples. You know, if you look at the um, resurrection accounts in all four Gospels, um, uh, there was something this year I've noticed this before, but there was something that stood out above, over and above all of the other details. I mean, there's earthquakes and the empty tomb and the guards that have, you know, just kind of fell lifeless and, and all sorts of things that you could focus on. But what kept coming to mind was the presence of the women who had followed Jesus for his ministry. Matthew in Matthew 28, he tells us that it was Mary Magdalene who went out to the tomb with the other Mary. And they arrived at dawn to just scope out what was going on. You flip over to Mark chapter 16, and Mark says that Mary Magdalene was there, and Mary the mother of James and Salome. And they went bearing spices so that they could anoint Jesus' body when the Sabbath was over. If you flip over into the Gospel of Luke, in, into chapter 24, he tells us initially that there were some women that went out to the tomb with spices, and they're unnamed when he first mentions them. But when they come back and they return to talk to the disciples about it, Luke tells us that it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James. And just because it seems like there was an entourage of the ladies that went out, he says, and the others. John, the scripture that our kids read for us, was Mary Magdalene. And Mary doesn't, she doesn't have a large role in the gospel of John until the cross comes into view. And John slowly begins to focus the camera, the spotlight, in on Mary Magdalene. and, And he only reports There could have been others, but he focuses in on Mary. In all four Gospels, the women are the first ones to the tomb in the morning when they could do something about it. Of course, they had work to do to take care of Jesus' body, but they're the first ones who learned of Jesus' resurrection. They are the first witnesses to go and share that news with, with other people. And if you, to know something about that time period, to have women be your first witnesses, that was culturally challenging to people. But I don't think that God cares a whole bunch about our cultural conventions. God's going to tell the story the way he wants to. And it was the women who are out there first. Now, the men show up in the story as well. The women go, and they they go back to the disciples, and Luke tells us that they just kind of 
that's a bunch of nonsense, silly women. That's not true. The tomb can't be. You maybe went to the wrong place. Well, Peter, inquisitive Peter, he gets up and he starts running. It's earth-shattering news that he was not expecting that he needed to see it to believe it. So he goes running. John tells us that uh, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, also started running. He's like, huh, Peter's not going to get there first. And John, we think it's John, the, uh, he's a little faster than old Peter, and so, you know, he's running, and, and he gets to the tomb first, and he just stands there and Maybe he's hesitant, a little, I don't know how to proceed. The stone's gone, and I don't see anything in there. Well, Peter, you know, we saw. Peter gets there, and he just, I'm going in. And Peter looks, and he, he doesn't understand it yet. He goes away, shaking his head, a little bit in confusion. And John is bold enough to go in, and it says that he saw and he believed. He started connecting those dots of all of Jesus' teaching along the way, that I must die, but I will rise again. So the way John tells the story, Mary goes to the tomb twice. The first time she goes, she's on her way to do a job. While it's still dark out, early wee hours of the morning, and she finds the stone is, is moved away and the tomb empty, and so she rushes back. And then, and then that's the first time. And then the second time that she's there, Peter and, and, and John have come to the tomb, and it, I think that the crowd just kind of, hey, if they're going out there, let's go see this thing too. And, and the crowd eventually gets there, and then when, when everybody leaves, John has Mary in focus. And everything else seems to be silent, and she's left there weeping. So Mary's at the tomb twice that day. Two times, she shares the news. The first time, back in verse 2, she was a reporter. She was sharing facts. Hey, I went there, the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty. I don't know where they put our Lord. They took him away. That's what she knows in the moment. And the second time that she goes out to the tomb, she has that encounter with Jesus. And she thinks he's the gardener. Because this news is so surprising, she doesn't expect it to be Jesus. And it turns out that it was Jesus, and he says, Mary things start to come together in her mind. And so she rushes back to the disciples as a witness. She goes back to the disciples and shares with that group again as a preacher. If you think about it, she's the very, very first Easter preacher. She is, you could say, an apostle to the apostles. And so, because that stood out to me, I thought maybe that some of our women should tell some of the story today.
because that seems appropriate. The women were the first to discover the news. The news for everybody. So we have a couple things during this portion of our worship service. I'm going to turn your attention to the screen here in a minute, and we put it out there as, who is Jesus to you? How has he affected your life? So some of our teens have put together a little testimonial video, and then I'm going to have Karen come and share for a little bit, and then I'll come back and close before we move on into the remaining part of, of our song, um, worship. Jesus became real to Mary on that morning. She had been following for a while. But there are moments in our life where some things become clear, where we understand, where we have moments. Maybe for you today, maybe you've heard this story before. But it's not really gripped you. Maybe Jesus doesn't have a hold of your heart yet. So maybe in hearing the story today becomes new and life-changing in a very real way for you. Watch the screen. Jesus is hope. He has shown me hope in my own life by showing me that when we are stuck in the valley and in the darkest storms that he will carry us through, that we don't have to fear because he's always with us. The same goes for everyone and I want to be able to share with others that they can have hope too. Jesus is love. He loves me so much that he died on the cross for my sins. Jesus is my friend when I'm lonely and when I'm scared and he's my hope for my future. Jesus is life, and I want to give my life in service to him. For the past few years, I've been feeling called to be a youth pastor. Jesus is grace. He willingly gives us what we don't deserve. Jesus is the love and joy and strength in the home, and because of his love, we are adopted into the family of God. In my life, I have been through many hard times, and without the love and hope that Jesus has brought me, I wouldn't be where I am today. For me, Jesus not only gives us hope, but he also gives us a purpose and a reason to live. In the past year, I've really felt called to missions, and I've gotten an opportunity to go with Teen Missions International to Africa, and we're gonna be meeting the most basic need. We're gonna be drilling wells to give them clean water, and not only that, we're gonna be telling them about the living water so that they'll never have to thirst again. It was quiet when we approached the tomb. Days before, there was noise wherever we went. Crowds cheering, sometimes yelling. But now in front of his tomb, just silence. I had gathered all my spices and oils intending to anoint the body. But when I got there, he was gone. Jesus changed my life.
ever since the day that I met him in Galilee. He rescued me. And I followed him ever since. All the way to his death. But there was the tomb. And it was empty. My heart broke into a thousand pieces. I turned and there was a gardener and I asked him if he knew where they had taken Jesus's body. But I recognized it was Jesus. <laughs> it was my Lord. He taught us that his sheep would recognize his voice and I knew him. I knew him the minute he said my name. I dropped to my knees. What else could I do but cling to him? I never wanted to let him out of my sight. But no, he had different plans for me. He wanted me to let the others know about the good news. I ran as fast as my legs would carry me, shouting like an excited child. <laughs> he did it! He did it! He, he really did it! Yes. <laughs> to think that I had come to an anoint a dead man, and I left with proof that he is the overcomer of everything. I, all of us, can never beat fear, sorrow, sin, definitely not death. Death. He beat death. <sighs> Who do I say that he is? I know who he is. <laughs> Oh, I know who he is. He said that he would rise. And he most certainly is risen. He is the savior. He is, he is the one true God. <laughs> Mary. She was the perfect example of a person who has had a life-changing encounter with God. She fell at his feet and she served him because she knew that Jesus had changed her. She had felt the healing power of Jesus and the complete redemption that he provides for us. But what you saw in that film isn't who Mary always was. Let's take a look at who Mary was before Jesus. 
We're going to read Luke 8, 1 through 2, if you'd like to turn with me. It says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, and he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women, who had been cured of evil spirits and disease. One of those, Mar- one of those women we know is Mary. Now, we don't know exactly what demons meant for her life. We don't know whether it was a physical illness or ailment. If that was so, remember back in those times, a lot of times societally, they believed that illness was due to sin. And maybe not even that person's sin, but it may have been sin from generations past. So with being ill comes being a social outcast of some sort, and we don't know the depth of that in her life either. She was possessed by, you'll see in the scripture, it says seven demons. That really spoke to me when I was preparing because seven, we know biblically, means completion, achievement. She was completely lost. She was completely possessed. She had no hope at this point in her life. Another part of the Bible that's really familiar for us with the number seven is days of creation, right? I know what you're thinking. Technically, it was six days. True. But remember, seven means completion. And on the seventh day, he had completed creation. He had achieved creation. And so he was able to rest. It's no accident to me that they described her as being completely possessed, completely lost. Now, she was also completely healed. Don't you know that our Savior, when he healed her, he didn't heal her too? He didn't heal her for. Jesus was a Jewish carpenter, and he was also in the restoration business. He healed her seven completely, because he had plans for her. Can you imagine that transformation in her life? Can you imagine how it felt to be completely healed and freed of her demons? Could she help but do anything but serve him, do you think? I know how she feels. I've been there. All of our demons look a little different, but we wear them. And I'm here to share with you this morning that if Jesus can heal Mary, seven. The good news is he died on that cross and he arose and came out of that tomb for you, seven. I want you to turn to Luke 7, 36 through 50. And I want to read to you a story about another, what we believe to be Mary, Mary of Bethany. It says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him So he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life, did you hear that part? A sinful life. She came in, excuse me, let me back up. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. We're not talking about just, you know, a couple dripping down the face. You can imagine that profuse weeping, that release that she was feeling in order to conjure up enough tears to be able to wash Jesus' feet. 
She then wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who this is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. And then he said, or he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. That's a seven statement, right? That's a complete redemption. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Peace. Go in calmness. Go in quiet. Go with order in your life. Go in harmony. Go in tranquility. Go in stillness and know that I am God. Jesus forgave her seven. Jesus died on the cross and is waiting to forgive you seven. Now let's look at her posture. She had fallen at his feet. In order to surrender herself, she became desperate. She took a risk. She humbled herself. She admitted her sins, and she cried enough tears to wash his feet. She also gave up her rainy day fund. That's kind of the picture I got in my head when I was thinking about these expensive oils that she'd probably been hoarding and saving. That was a lot of money in that jar of spikenard for her to sacrifice and to pour at his feet. She put everything that she had on the line. Can you imagine her transformation? Can you imagine the alleviation of her guilt? I can. What did she have to believe about Jesus? Well, she had to have had full faith in him to approach him, correct? She wasn't hindered in that moment by what anybody else thought about her. That Pharisee was there. That Pharisee knew who she was. Sometimes in our life we have Pharisees that know who we are and that know our past. That's what I like to lovingly call as my border patrol. They try to keep you where you were. We need to break the chains. She throws all her self-respect aside. She is focused fully on her hope in the one who can save her. 
The realizations and the convictions of the mistakes that she has made in her life caused her to collapse in repentance at Jesus' feet. Have you ever felt that desperate? Have you ever wanted our Savior enough to collapse and to humble yourself and to empty yourself? Can you feel her pain? Can you imagine the relief for her life when Jesus extends the complete and achieve the complete healing in her? Now, what if she had hung on to her guilt? The story would be quite different, wouldn't it? But in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, the Bible tells us, and by the authority of Scripture, you can claim this. It says, my grace is sufficient for you. She fell at his feet. Perhaps falling at our feet, or his feet, excuse me, isn't something that we're very good at. It's hard to be humble. It's hard to lose our pride. We need to fall. We need to get desperate. We need to empty ourselves. We need to surrender. We need to be willing to give up our most guarded worldly possessions and thoughts and sacrifice those at the feet of Jesus. Isaiah 51.14 tells us, He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. Things in our life that we've been carrying for 30 years, 40 years, 5 years, painful things, addictions, divorces, job loss, losing a child, losing a loved one. There are things that we hang on to for years and years and years, but Isaiah tells us that he who is bowed down, if you get low at the feet of Jesus, he can heal those things speedily. Get at his feet. My wish is that when you do, that you will look back and you'll think, I hung on to this for way too long, and I can't believe it when I finally surrendered. Something that should be taking me years to heal from is gone by the grace of Jesus. James 4, 6 says, God gives greater grace to the humble, and he stiff arms the proud. Arm wrestling is exhausting, especially when I'm doing it with my big kids. Jesus will win. And he'll keep working those muscles until finally we surrender and we get humble. We must fall. And after we fall and after we empty ourselves, we need to start walking with a teachable heart. Psalms 51, 10 through 12 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit in me. Cast me not away from thy presence. It's not a good place to go, is it? And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Can you imagine walking without that? I can't. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Right? And uphold me with a willing spirit. I can identify with both of these Marys because I have worn myself guilt and shame and hopelessness and despair and confusion. I've been through death of loved ones. I've been through divorce. I knew God was there my whole life, but I hadn't fully surrendered. Finally, I cried out. I had a week, and I'll share this with you all, I had a week when I finally poured out everything at the feet of Jesus. I had a week in my home, and if people lived with me, they'd think I was nuts. Luckily, Clark was at work. 
But I prayed for the Holy Spirit to come in every little cell of my body and cleanse me of any guilt or anything that was stopping me from serving his kingdom. And it will. And for that week, I prayed and I cried tears enough to wash Jesus' feet. And then I worshipped. And then I prayed and I cried and I worshipped. Before Jesus, I was consumed by my past. Now, I'm consumed by our Savior. There is nothing too big for Jesus to pull a seven on you. There is nothing that you walked in this room with that will surprise our God. I would challenge you to fall at his feet, to empty of yourself, to cry out to him, to allow him to do that restoration in you. It's a ride. Who do I say that he is? (laughs) He's our hope. He is risen. He is our redeemer. He is our friend. He is our source of power. He is love. And he is my savior, Jesus. Thanks for letting me share my story. One of my favorite authors, his name is Len Sweet. He uses, he made up a word, and I, I like making up words once in a while. He, he joined the word narrative or story and the word metaphor. And so he often thinks in what he calls narrifers. A metaphor usually is a, a word picture that most metaphors break down you know, over time. <clears throat> but a narrator is a, a metaphor that lengthens out into something longer, to a narrative, into a story. And if you think about the Bible in terms of narrators, there are many. And one of the most powerful ones is, is the battle that happens between darkness and light. A people who had found themselves walking in darkness have seen a great light. The Bible uses all sorts of word pictures to describe what darkness means. Of course, there is um, confusion, chaos, um, people stumbling around in the dark, lost, ignorance, sin, all of these things. We've been hearing about what it means to kind of stumble around in the darkness on our own. We don't maybe always know where we're going. 
Maybe we think we have a really good idea, but maybe things just in our search for meaning are coming up just a little bit short. We attempt to do things in our own power, our own strength, hang on to our pride, and I can just do this on my own. And time and again, I think we'd have to admit that we come up empty. We come up short. We have a series of places that we call rock bottom. And maybe we rise up from rock bottom every so often, but because we're often people who stumble around in the dark, we find ourselves back there. And it's because we struggle and we, we want to hang on to the darkness. We want to hang on to deciding everything on our own. We don't think that we need somebody who we would call a savior because I can pull it together myself. I'm strong enough. But we find ourselves in the darkness. And I talk to a lot of people who report their struggles, relational, school, finances, debt, confusion, loneliness, emptiness. There's a long list of things. And all of those I would classify as places of darkness for us. And sometimes that darkness can just be flat-out oppressive and suffocating. It's overwhelming. Our hopes, our plans, our dreams sometimes hang in the balance between life and death, between the darkness and the other side of the nerefor is the light. And when you go through these times of darkness, many people cry out, where is God in all this? God is love. Why am I experiencing all of this? But I want to tell you the good news is that our discovery of the risen Jesus always begins in the dark. We have to go through dark places to recognize that on our own we've got nothing. There's no way that we can earn our salvation. There's no way that we can get to God without going through Jesus first. And we have to come to that, that moment. So what's, what's your story? Are you worn out? Are you tired? Do you feel like you're losing the struggle? Do you feel like you're stumbling around in the living room in the middle of the night after you've switched around all your furniture and you run into things? Are you searching for meaning in life and, and coming up short? I guess the question that we would want to put in front of you today is would you consider Jesus? Would you consider him? The good news of Easter is that you do not have to stay in the dark. The way that our passage began, it said, while it was still dark, Mary went. John uses the metaphor of darkness. 
She goes out there in darkness and she leaves because she sees a great light. And the human story, the human condition is that we're lost in, in our sin, but that God loves us so much that he was willing to send Jesus to die on that cross to forgive us our sins, to show us the way, to show us the path into the light of his love. And so we tell this Easter story over and over and over and over again, week in and week out, and yes, on Easter there's a special emphasis on it. But it's the Christian story. Without the resurrection, we got nothing. And so we proclaim Jesus' resurrection. And not only do we proclaim the resurrection, but we proclaim what it means. That it can help us move. It is the only way for us to eternally move from darkness into light. So when life is challenging and you feel like you're taking a stroll, a slow journey through the valley of the shadow of death, you do not have to fear evil because Jesus has already walked that path ahead of you. And he's willing to walk it again with you to show you the way to God the Father. We keep telling this story so that you will always have that opportunity to meet this Jesus that we have been talking about. And when you really meet Jesus, you have stories like the ones that we heard this morning. You don't truly meet Jesus and walk away the same person. You meet Jesus and you go away different. That doesn't mean that all your problems disappear or that hard things won't come in your life. It means that you have found somebody who will walk with you through all of it. And all the stuff in your past that you might put in the category of guilt and shame and the things that you are fearful of in this life, you can hand those over to him and he can shoulder that burden. The sin in your past, he forgives that and removes it far from you. Do you want to meet this guy? The hardest part, it really is admitting that we might have been wrong. The hardest part is coming to that decision point that ah, everything I've been trying, it's just not working. Coming to the admission that I need a rescuer. I need a savior. I need Jesus. So I want to tell you that you can step out of the darkness at any point. Maybe this morning is a good time to do that. You can step out of the darkness that you are stumbling around in and you can take steps into the light today. I would tell you that that there is, there's no darkness that is so thick that the love of God can't pierce. There's nothing that you have done that God won't forgive. All you do is turn to him and say, Lord, I need you. Would you please forgive me?
Would you be my Savior? I wonder if you'd just bow your heads and pray with me. God, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for the challenge of your word. And we thank you, most importantly today, for what you have come to do for us, what you did. You gave up your heavenly rights and privileges, and you came down here to walk the life of a human being. To show us the right way to live, and in our sin we rejected you, we pushed you away, kept you at arm's length. So much so that we ended up nailing you to that cross and killing you because your way was so foreign to our way of evil and hate and sin. But that wasn't the last word. It wasn't the last word. Everything that you had come to share and to teach and to proclaim happened. And on that first Easter morning, you rose from the dead conquering the darkness once for all, conquering death, conquering sin, that there is no longer a sting to death when we are in Christ. And so this morning as we contemplate this story, as we worship you for these wonderful things that you have done, as we thank you for the love that you have lavished upon us, Lord, we recognize that there's darkness and there's sin that's in our lives. And I just wonder if you would confess that to Jesus today. I wonder if today would be the moment where you take steps into the light by asking Jesus to be your Savior to be your Lord. God, would you please forgive me and show me what it means to walk in the path of your light. Thank you for this wonderful time of celebration today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Worship team's gonna come back and we're gonna close with some um, musical worship, some energetic songs, some, some worshipful songs. The thing that strikes me, the women were the first ones to go out to the tomb, right? So they were the first Easter preachers. But every single person who calls on the name of Jesus and is saved leaves as an Easter preacher. So that means that all of you who have called on the name of Jesus are Easter preachers. And when you leave this place today, you are affirmed and blessed to go and share the story of Christ's resurrection with anyone that you would come in contact with. Let's stand together as we sing.